1: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
2: Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, all over the place. Including behind us, around us, Chad. We're swimming in
0: moonshine and Yeehaw beer in this facility. That's right. It's everywhere.
2: Crew. can't avoid it. Crew's all here except for PK, who is enjoying the Titans bye week with family today and tomorrow. Tomorrow we are live in Knoxville for the biggest game of the college football weekend, and Chad, you said it right, the biggest game of the college football season to this point. Tennessee and Alabama on Saturday will preview all of that over the next two days. Uh, really excited to be joined by Sean Alexander, Crimson Tide great, uh, former offensive MVP, uh, rushing uh, title holder, rushing king in 2005, uh, MVP over Peyton Manning that season. We'll get uh, all the details from him on the Crimson Tide balls. That's coming up in t- uh, about 15 minutes from now. Looking forward to that. Also, Armando Salguero and Michael McHenry covering all things Major League Baseball. Um, we will definitely talk Braves. Chad, congratulations. Your Bravo's in the series there.
0: They had to get it Hutton, and they made it happen. get Zach Wheeler, who they've had no success against. Had a whip under one coming into that game against the Braves. Uh, and they broke through in the sixth inning in a scoreless game for three and never looked back. Three-nothing win. So it's fun now because it makes it a series as they go to Philly uh, in what's going to be a raucous atmosphere for uh, a Phillies team that has not been in the
2: postseason in 11 years. McHenry knows both of these franchises well. Uh, talked to him last night. He said, literally, ask me anything you want in the Braves and Phillies. I'm ready to go. Uh, Yankees postponed until tomorrow. They're not going to play again until Friday. Advantage Guardians will ask that question as well. Looking forward to that. Padres beat the Dodgers, too. My Padres. I'm all on board with San Diego. That was a fun game to watch
0: late last night, Padres and, and Dodgers. That, that's a, I mean, you're, you're reminded in a win like that, that Padres team is super loaded just like the Dodgers. Dodgers are more loaded and the better team and should win that series. But even with that out Tatis Jr.,
2: that's still a very talented Padres team. We've got uh, Thursday Night Football, Washington taking on Chicago. Look, uh, last week, terrible game. And I I came in on Friday and I said, guys, the, the quarterback play is what kept me watching this. As bad as it was, it was Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan. Tonight, Justin Fields, who barely passes for you know ten attempts in a game, ten completions in a game, and Carson Wentz, who could be on uh, on alert, looking over his shoulder at uh, some of the backup options they have because things have not gone well with just their one win start. Uh, Carson Wentz, though, the note here: six and zero on Thursdays throughout his NFL career, fifteen touchdowns, two interceptions on Thursday nights on short weeks. It's probably because they always they just throw away whatever team he's
0: on the game they play on Thursdays against the worst <laughs> opponent uh, on the like schedule. Tonight? Yeah, so he's you know he's really <laughs> feasted on the bottom of the league would be my guess. I, I'd like to see if he's got one big win on Thursday night football against a team that was good and not just stacking up a bunch of bad wins. And hey, Carson Wentz isn't worried about anything. He said it yesterday in response to Ron Rivera's apology. I'm super confident. He laughed it up and hey, coach apologize. We're good. I'm very confident that I'm the guy here in Washington. Nothing to see here, guys. No chance at all of me being benched. I'm Carson Wentz. I'm here for the long haul. I know Commanders fans are thrilled
2: with that. Uh, Davey Hudson uh, does great work. He he passed this on to us. Draft picks that Carson Wentz has been traded for throughout his career. You ready for this? Yes. 2016, three picks. A first round number eight overall, third round number 77, fourth round number 100 overall. That was the 2016 uh, because they had to go get him. You've got... 2017, a first overall in 2018, you have the second round overall in this, in 2018, and then 2021- 64th overall second round pick. Yes, and a 84th overall third round pick in 2021, and then this past year with Washington uh, for 2022 with Indy, you've got a first round pick, which was number 16- a second-round swap, and then a third-round pick in this past year, 2023, coming up for Washington to get him number 67, a third-round pick overall through Spotrack. That is a ton of picks for a very baseline, at best, marginal, uh, average QB. The one big year where all of the... You had Winston and Mariota, and then you had Wentz right after that, and the talk was... Did those teams draft too early? A year too early? Did they really need wins? And how quickly that dissipated? Well, he had a great season.
0: You had mentioned earlier, though, which is which is interesting, Huddin. That last last week, we wallowed in the misery of that game, and we stayed wallowing in the misery of that game because there was legitimate NFL star power failing. In that game.
2: Yeah, because one team, one Russell team was going to and at at Matt least Ryan. claim that they were back on track regardless of how it ended.
0: Well, e- even if it's not, you know, it, it's one thing. You don't stick around to watch two bad quarterbacks who've always been bad. Or, you know, Carson Wentz was average to above at one point in his career. He had a moment yeah. with Philly where he was definitely an above average yes. quarterback. But these are two guys who were great for long stretches of their career a week ago in Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. So we stick around of the novelty of watching two formerly great quarterbacks be terrible in the same game, and maybe we stick with the game longer. I don't know if, if I'm sticking with the game as long tonight. No. If, if it's, it's like just that. two bad quarterbacks that, oh, we already knew they're really bad quarterbacks, so who cares? If, it, if, it's Bears, if Bears commanders resembles uh, Colts-Broncos from a week ago, People aren't going to stick with it as long because there's no novelty of watching formerly good quarterbacks be bad. These are just two bad quarterbacks right now.
2: Davey, at I, this point in their career. Am I right in thinking that the Bears are on Monday night next week? They have another primetime game coming up? It's All the all of the talk about the Broncos. The Broncos have a Monday night game coming up as well. Uh, you know, the bad teams. Here are the Bears with a chance to get to 500. A bit of a surprise at this point. And you've got... Their offensive coordinator not really saying that we've, we've seen Justin Fields put in the best situations with how they're using him. They're not going that far, and at least they're telling us the truth with that. It's interesting that they could get, that, get to that level going into uh, mid-October, and no one thinks they're any good. But here they are with a chance to, to get to 500 with a win over Washington.
0: And I think more than anything, it's a chance to just further bury another NFC opponent. If you're the Bears. I mean, yeah, get, getting to that level right now, this point in their season is important, but you, you also start to sprinkle a little more, more dirt on the grave of the commanders with a win tonight and hold them at one win on the season, which would be important. Because these are two teams that we have our NFL playoff elimination. I, I know I know Paul has both eliminated. I have the commanders eliminated. I don't have the Bears As of yet. Now, I don't have the Bears yet either. But if, at best... At best, going into the season, you'd say, maybe they'll fight for that seventh spot and be an 8-9-10 type team in the NFC and could fight for that last playoff spot. It's
2: also, the organization would never say this, you have the trade deadline coming up November 1st. And Chicago has a couple of pieces that would be highly sought after. Especially out west, they've got a couple of former Rams that would make sense for the Rams, and they go all in. But if you're in contention, you can't trade your assets for picks, but you also know you're really not that good enough to compete and you need to build around your young quarterback. So you can't be buyers or sellers at that point. It's a tough spot to be in. The trade deadline has been much more active in recent seasons than what we've given it credit for. We've always downplayed it. and the last two years, we've seen a lot of movement there. Khalil Mack comes to mind and others. The Bears have been sellers in the past, and now they're not the seller of the league at least not yet. If Washington wins tonight, the Bears could be.
0: Yeah, I'm really rooting for a Bears win just because I don't want to hear about Washington anymore and would like them to stay at one win and just continue that burial process of of that team.
2: But a story we're going to get to later. Yeah, we're going to hear about the Washington Commanders We're going to hear about
0: Washington because their owner's not ready to get buried just yet because he's claiming he has receipts and he's going to expose a lot of owners across the NFL and... Roger Goodell and the
2: NFL themselves. He could expose them. The fraternity of owners. That's why they don't vote anyone out. Dan Snyder saying that he's got plenty of dirt. We'll go through the headlines uh, coming up later in the show. When we come back, though, Sean Alexander is going to join us. Crimson Tide Great. NFL great joining us on Outkick 360. First, though, we are excited to partner with Aurora Nutrascience, a trusted partner that keeps us at OutKick 360. Mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You can see VitalLifeScience.com for all of the options with their great supplements. VIDALIFEScience.com is the website. 15% off. You get that discount as an OutKick360 season ticket holder. Just type in OutKick360 with the code there. at checkout. typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left that you're actually going to benefit from. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, and more. Plenty of more options to choose from. Vitalifescience.com. V-I-D-A-lifescience.com is the website. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at vitalifescience.com. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick. Now we're with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK back with us next week. Got Alabama and Tennessee this weekend. We have a a Crimson Tide legend with us as we continue with our college football preview. NFL MVP. And he's headed to the Seahawks Ring of Honor this Sunday. Sean Alexander joins us by phone. Sean, what does Tennessee and Alabama mean to you? What do you think of? in terms of this rivalry?
3: Well, I mean, the rivalry itself is always the great game. You always think that Auburn is the school that we at Alabama hate, and Tennessee and LSU are the neighbor kids that we get along with some, that'd be LSU, get along with a little less, that'd be Tennessee, but we have a little bit of respect that we always want to win. And uh, you know I have uh, a great strong dislike with Tennessee because I have that the walk of shame that I have to carry <laughs> with never beating them. Uh, so that's one. And then um, you know the fact that uh, you know we play on my senior year and uh, get tackled, got rolls up my ankle, and they they pretty much took my Heisman from me. So <laughs> so so there's there's no there's nothing good I really want to see out of, out of Tennessee um, except us really pummeling them. But uh, that's what makes the game fun, you know. Um, they are, they are finally at a place where their confidence is high and they're playing great football. And Alabama, we love that about them because um, we like to beat them when they're confident way better than um, beating them when they feel like they don't have a shot. And so, uh, so this is great football. We it, love
0: it. It's, it's, it. I like the way you describe that, Sean, because I look at Tennessee and Alabama as kind of this old money SEC programs where there is a, a mm-hmm. begrudging respect between the two I went to Tennessee I hate Florida there's nothing redeeming about Florida to me but I respect Alabama you know even if if I was in school at a time when Tennessee was winning they haven't won in 15 years now against Alabama but there's still at least a little bit of respect between those two programs because of that rich history would you agree with that?
3: Oh yeah the winning over over Tennessee whether they are high or not it still means a lot to us and uh, everybody can and say, oh, well, Bama's always winning, and there's no kind uh, Nah, not some not guys in the locker room. This Tennessee game means a lot, and we are going to play like that, and they are going to play like that, and that's how it's supposed to be.
2: Sean Alexander, our guest on Outkick 360. Ring of Honor this Sunday, Sean. Um, you know, I saw this. I'm thinking, man, I would have already assumed you were there. You know, 2005 MVP, one of the, one of the greats for the franchise. Congratulations on this, and... Um, Man, what what a turn of events from an off season where there was a franchise that was looked at of not doing very much at quarterback. Now Geno Smith is among the the top uh, athletes right now playing quarterback in the league.
3: Yeah, you know, um, you know it's uh, it's been pretty amazing to watch Geno play and play such a high level. I'm so proud of him. I, I think. You know, like anybody else, you go in hoping that he plays well, but not really expecting too much. But he's played lights out, and it's it's been wonderful to watch him mature. It's, it's been really cool to see him persevere through, you know, just from being a starter with the Jets to, to being replaced, to being back up to some great quarterbacks to finally get into Seattle. And you're like, ah, well, let's see what happens. And him playing the way he's playing, it's, it's been pretty awesome.
2: What comes to mind when you think of your Seahawks career? Is it 2005? And and I mean, you were in the zone the entire season. Some guys get into the zone for four or five weeks; they're in that groove. Uh, you did not miss a beat that entire year.
3: Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, it, it's hard to say. Like as humble, I was, I, let me start like this: as humble as I can say it, that that five year run was pretty amazing. You know, we uh, we brought in uh, Steve Hutchinson. Uh, we brought in a, a, a Jeremy Stevens, a, a, a you know, kind a, of a a passing threat uh, as a tight end, and and then and then we brought in Hasselbeck, and we literally um, we we kind of created a, a run pass check system and a run to run system with Bobby Ingram coming in. He was the office corner at of Wisconsin. He was the slot guy, and we've kind of watched everybody try to use the slot the way we've used it, especially in New England ever since then we started that thing in 02 and uh and it just went run. And that run we had two three four five uh six and seven i think we went we won a division four years in a row went to playoffs five um and um and my run of a thousand yards and 15 touchdowns uh was just amazing it, you know uh, so so that that whole but it flashes by like, like, you know, going from college high school to college or college to, uh, to finish it. It flashed by so quick, but, but the run was just amazing. And, and, uh, to cap off the, um, that, that, uh, Oh five season, the way we did, it just was, it was wonderful. Everything just kind of fell in place correctly and the right teams were played against. And, uh, the whole nine it was it was pretty
2: awesome well we saw we saw Derek Henry rush for 2000 a couple seasons ago Jonathan Taylor was getting some accolades in November of last year but it, it tailed off because MVP is a quarterback award in in 2005 though you beat out Tom Brady and Peyton Manning for most valuable player in the NFL <laughs> can a running back today Sean win MVP in the NFL well uh LaDainian and I were the last
3: I think, uh, did Adrian win it? I think maybe the three of us were the yes. last three to win it. And it takes like a lot of yards, um, a bunch of touchdowns, and then the right wins. Like, um, you're playing against, um, Peyton Man, You know, he played Peyton in the, the second-to-last game of the season. And, uh, we 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 break the run. We get to we scored a touchdown, and then they put me back in the game to get the twenty seventh touchdown. And everybody just remembers, oh, they beat the Colts. And uh, you know, we were, we we're both in similar situations where we had our I had our playoffs locked up. But it takes those kind of games, and and, uh, and it just the the right games have to be played at the right time. And usually, a running back, our running offense has to beat a passing the, the other quarterback that would be in the in the contentions and. Uh, and it just has to fall right. It's it's much harder for a running back. He needs stats, he needs touchdowns, and he has to have the win. And all those things can happen and you could still not beat the right team and they'll give it to the quarterback. So uh, so it's uh it's it's a little bit hard to get and I it it'd take a, a pretty amazing moment for it to happen again.
0: When you say a certain team from a certain era, most of the time in the NFL there's one player that'll come to mind with that era, and your era the Seahawks If you say that, they'll say Sean Alexander. Now, if you say some of the best fans in the NFL, certain fan bases immediately come to mind and loud environments and and all of those things. I feel like when you were playing in Seattle, that wasn't necessarily the reputation for the Seahawks fan base. Maybe it was underrated, but then shortly after you were there— you started to hear a lot more about Seahawks fans and, and that environment. Decibels. So what what was your experience like playing in Seattle in front of Seahawks fans?
3: Well, a couple of things happened. You know, I get there and they blew up the kingdom. Yep. So by the time I got there, there's no stadium. <laughs> so We're playing at at the UW Husky Stadium, University of Washington, uh, for my first two years. I'm not the starter, Um I think we went six and 10 my first year, and maybe 10 and six the second year, something like that, maybe nine and seven. And we were the last team in the playoffs. They were known to be average. And, you know, me coming from a high school that was ranked nationally, and and then being the player of the year, and then going to Alabama, which always says what it is, you know, and being all American, and then going to Seattle, it was like a culture shock to me to see um, a program like that. And, you know, Coach Homer, you got to give credit. He drafted the right guys. He let, he let our personalities um, be what they were. Like, we're not losing, and we're going to get rid of guys that can't, can't uh, handle that kind of intensity and that kind of uh, desire to win. And, um, and it took us a little bit of time, and we changed the culture. So by the time we're into my third year and I'm the guy and, and we've got, a, we've got our, 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 the way we're going to play down, it was It was hard to beat us. We ran the ball, we stopped the run. we had got receivers that could make plays when they needed. Hasback would scramble around and make a big throw in the fourth quarter, and the crowd was just all in it, and then we started winning and so then you see division count division champs, division champs, division champs, playoff wins, Super Bowl, and now all of a sudden they're no longer just cheering because of the team in the city they're cheering because now're they're, they're cheering for champions division champs conference champs um you know t- this team goes to super bowl any year and we were always in the hunt for it just about my whole time and and uh and so when we all get too old to come play no more hunger retires Pete carroll comes in and he goes and drafts russell and uh and bobby wagner and so now you've got two decade captains on both your offense and your defense and uh, go grab that great secondary, grab some more. Go uh, go trade for Marshawn. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now they've built it back up. And the one thing that uh, Russ and Marshawn always said was, it was already ready to go be a championship team. And it was much harder for us to climb that hill when, you know, people used to fly to Seattle, go get some good seafood, go see the Space Needle, and then beat, then win a football game. And by the time we were finished. They were like, man, it's going to be a war. And we're like, you better believe it. So, so it was great to change the culture to, to not just playing football but playing winning football. And uh, and the crowd really jumped into it. So we love the twelves.
2: Sean Alexander, our guest on OutKick three sixty.
0: So Sean, I'm asking this next question for Colin Warner, who's our radio engineer and resident Notre Dame guy. Uh, you played at a, a great program in the state of Kentucky, and I felt like recruiting wise, mm-hmm. you were kind of in the middle. Uh, the start of the Midwest yeah. and the start of the South, and you were either going to go deep South or Michigan or possibly even Notre Dame, and you may have been one of the only star football players that would have gone to a program partly based on a member of the marching band. Is is this correct with yeah. your interest
3: in Notre Dame? That is right. My uh, older brother, Durain, is one year older than me. He went to the University of Notre Dame and played in the marching band, and and uh, it was funny. I was doing an event with Verizon and uh, I told somebody, yeah, my brother played in the marching band. And I told him who it was, the drowns and we still play his cadences. And I was like, that would only make sense self band people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so a Very proud little brother uh, of, of, of one who played in the Notre Dame marching band. And, and yeah, I almost went there and um, it was a, a really fun recruiting. And I remember Lou Holtz walking by me and, mr ohio and mr west virginia i was mr kentucky and the three of us would go to same games before there was cell phones right <laughs> I mean we were right on the earth verge of, of cell phones so we we're like hey you going to this game no nah, i'm gonna go this one okay yeah and that's that's kind of how we talked about we both walked to us and said y'all y'all three come here we'll win the national championship four years in a row they're like oh man you guys must be pretty good yeah what's your name uh, when well, you're know, you're Mr. West Virginia, yeah. What's your name, Randy Moss? Oh, okay, yeah, Randy. I'll, I'll keep you mind. Hey, what's your name, Mr. Ohio? Oh, Charles Wilson. Okay, great. So those it was the three of us that was going around <laughs> to all the same games, and um, you know, we looked up and I remember Charles being the first one saying, "I think I'm gonna go to Michigan." I was like, "Yeah, I, I was thinking that too." Randy's like, "Ah, no, I think I'm gonna go to Notre Dame," and I went up in a blizzard in Michigan, and then went to Notre Dame. I went to Notre Dame first, then went to blizzard up in Michigan, and I just started thinking, gosh, i really just go somewhere warm. And I went to Alabama next and uh, met Gene Stallings and was like, yep, here I go, going to Bama. <laughs> That's how it happened.
2: Sean Alexander, our guest, uh, give us your prediction for this weekend, Sean, Tennessee and Bama.
3: Man, I've been so impressed with Heupel in that, that offense. Um, I feel like they will score points. Uh, so I'm gonna give him about twenty eight thirty one. I'm gonna give about thirty one. Uh, let's see, I'll give us uh, about forty one. So I feel like it's gonna be like thirty one to forty one,
2: Bama. It's very similar what Chad was saying. Yeah, this I think week. my pick was thirty eight thirty, Bama.
0: So I'm I'm right in line with you. It comes down to Bryce Young to me, Sean. I mean that that's the key to this yeah. game. If he plays, I think Bama wins. If he doesn't, I think they're in trouble in this game.
3: <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. No, I,
0: <laughs> I, I,
3: I do hear. I do hear he's going to play. If he doesn't, it, it's going to be hard because Tennessee's defense is, is a good defense, you know. And so, so they will they will play. And if you can make it one dimensional, I mean, in the SEC defenses and one dimensional offenses don't go together, you know. So, so, uh, so, um, you know. So hopefully. Uh, Hopefully it goes the way we want it. If, if he doesn't play, um, we have so much confidence that the players will step up because the game means so much that they'll make the plays that that's needed. But um, score is going to have to go way down and a, little, a lot more clock management uh, if he doesn't.
2: Sean, final thing on the way out. Um, I, back in Seattle this weekend, I know Rashad Penny is hurt. Uh, unfortunately, again, he's done for the year. Kenneth Walker the 3rd though has an opportunity. Have you had a chance to to meet or chat with him and what do you expect from the rookie?
3: Yeah, I uh, I I congratulate him for coming to the team and uh very explosive. Gosh, he uh he plays uh, with the idea of making a big play um every single carry and that that becomes pretty exciting. Uh I think he's special and uh hopefully he can stay healthy. I but you know, I love Rashad Penny too. So so but seeing uh those two guys they've they've got some great running backs there that hopefully they can keep both under contract and and can play for a long time but but uh yeah i I think that uh yeah i think kenneth is going to be pretty special and hopefully he has a great game uh sunday
2: (laughs) hey man like we like we said at la uh, you're welcome to nashville anytime to come link up and hang out here uh next time you next time you do that please let us know we'd love to hang out and uh, you're always great to come on the show we appreciate you man congratulations on the Ring of Honor induction this weekend.
3: Well-deserved. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank
2: you. All right, there's Sean Alexander. One of the best. Crimson Tide, NFL MVP, 2005. And, I mean, imagine a running back right now, Chad, beating out Manning, Brady, Mahomes, you know, uh, Josh Allen. He was able to do that. How about the story about him, Randy Moss and
0: uh, Charles Woodson being buddies in the recruiting process? Heard some
2: great Randy Moss L- recruiting. Stories. Lou
0: Holtz, Lou Holtz may have been correct in his assessment that they would have won multiple national championships if all three
2: linked up in South Bend. So uh, Joey Kent, speaking of old we'll tie in the Alabama here, uh, Joey Kent once told me the recruiting story. He hosted Randy Moss on campus when Randy was making the visits through Knoxville, and I confirmed all this through Philip Fulmer, who I saw this past April. And all Randy wanted to do, because they had everything set up. All Randy wanted to do was swim. That's it. He wanted to go and swim. In the, in and then go, pool. go meet the players. Yeah, go meet the players. Uh, hey, do you want to go hang out at this fraternity house? Do you want to go to this bar, you know, you go hang out with all the players? We're gonna be here hanging out at this bar. We're gonna be here after practice. No, man, I just I just want to go swim. <laughs> and so he just went and just swam laps on that Friday afternoon whenever he got into town went to the game on Saturday and then you know probably swam some more that was Randy Moss
0: not what you would necessarily think about Randy Moss's no. time as a recruit visiting no. campuses <laughs> straight swimming there you go <laughs> I, the, every time i hear that story it's uh, it's all i think about when i hear Randy Moss now yeah. is that joey Kent story about him only wanting to go swim and i think joey oh, just, oh, just sat amazing.
2: there and watched him swim like he was the chaperone for the weekend you know how serious joey takes everything
0: this is also pre cell phones Oh, yeah. This era, so I'm laughing at Joey having to just sit in a chair and watch him swim laps, not even on his phone while he's doing it, <laughs> texting someone else, just sitting there watching him.
2: Hit us up on Twitter at OutKick360. Coming up, we'll hit some more headlines. We will get into uh, what's going on in Washington with Daniel Snyder's comments about ownership and uh, Roger Goodell and others saying he's got dirt on them and dropping some off-color language. We'll dive in on that. Where I, I don't know if we agree or not here on dan snyder and the leverage that he may or may not possess with the comments that have been floated out there we'll get into that plus we will uh hit the headlines with all things major league baseball postseason we've got michael McHenry coming up in about 20 minutes armando salguero will help us preview thursday night football in all of week six stay tuned a lot more coming on kick 360 another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check kick okay, 360 rolls on. Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Commanders, says he's got dirt on got NFL receipts. ownership it's and those the receipts. NFL and Roger Goodell. And that's why the quote is, they can't F with me. The report from ESPN has quoted Daniel Snyder saying this to confidants about other NFL owners and the league as a whole. Um, and while he's not wrong... It's not because of what the immediate reaction would be with this. Like, it's not because he's somehow empowered just like all these owners are or Roger Goodell can't do anything because technically Snyder's his boss. Chad, I don't know where you come down on this. I, I think it's because they're not, they're not going to, the group at large is not going to F with them until he Fs with them. Does that make sense? With the money. So, it's not the investigation of improper work environment or anything. To me, it's about the are they, if it's true, they end up, then they're being investigated for this, skimming money off the top before uh, splitting the revenue with other ownership. That's where things, you know, tend to go uh, a bit off track with how owners tend to vote when it comes to this policy. I would also say uh, they would also tend to vote in the same line of thinking here, meaning that Snyder's not going to be ousted, because certain owners don't want to be next. I don't think they're worried about Snyder ratting them out on anything. I think they're worried about setting a precedent to where, well, if Snyder's outed for this, and word gets out on what he knows, I'm outed for this. So it's not as much litigation as it is facts and precedent being set and they don't want to set that precedent.
0: I love the description in the ESPN report of people that know Snyder that says he's got a a whiskey in one hand, a cigar in the other, and he's pacing around (laughs) his private residence, but he's always going on these rants about how he's had private investigators hired. And he knows all this stuff, stuff on Roger Goodell, that he's got dirt on him. He's got dirt on other owners, that the NFL is the mafia and that he could take down the entire organization. It's basically organized crime, is what he's claiming. And I start thinking, how much of this do I believe? Do I believe that NFL owners have skeletons in their closet? Of course. Most human beings do, especially billionaires. They've got something going on, a lot of them, that I'm sure they don't want exposed. But I keep coming back to this one thing. There's a there's a quote where... Daniel Snyder is claiming there's a lot of unlikability with NFL owners across the league, and then some NFL owner anonymously was quoted as saying, no, we just don't like Dan. Everyone, everyone across the league hates this guy. That's the sense he's getting. It's not that there's a lot of unlikable people. It's that no one likes him. So if that's the case and he doesn't have true friends around the league, then what would he really know? Unless he's actually well, hiring investigators
2: to go dig up dirt know on other owners. He's in a lot of meetings. The, the league has been named in a lot of lawsuits, um, concussions, and everything else. He's in those meetings, and he has a vote. He's one of 32. And Roger Goodell speaks on behalf of Daniel Snyder. It's not the other way around. So I, I think he would know more than what people would tend to believe. And, you know, the reports go on to say, like, he's done his own, like, reconnaissance mission on owners like Jerry Jones. You know, like, that, that's where, I think there is a group of ownership, Chad, like, at the top. Like, if we're tiering all this, the guys with power. There is a group of ownership that tend to, um, you know, stay together as the group instead of branching off individually. And I don't think they necessarily have to like each other to protect the overall brand, the shield, and the individual uh, businesses that these guys have, because they're worried about if, if if he gets kicked out, if we're voting him out, what does that mean for me? Based on anything that could come up,
0: and, I, and look, they would they would go to great lengths to disavow anything that Daniel Snyder said about them. Sure, he'd have to have I mean, legitimate proof, and he'd have to be willing to do that. I mean, he he would, been sued before. He would torch everything he's ever done. Yeah, to become an NFL owner by doing that. Now, does does the league do owners that might well, have something to hide? Are they really afraid
2: of him doing that? Do they think that, oh, this guy's actually going to go scorched earth? But why would you worry about going scorched earth if you're getting voted out of the fraternity? And by doing so, maybe you're worried about uh, the, 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 the building falling in, so to speak, the walls caving in. I mean, they're going to allow him to sell the franchise. He's going to be $5 billion plus richer because of it. Um. But I don't think it gets to that point because no individual NFL owner wants that to happen to them.
0: No, I mean, I, look, I get what you're saying. The precedent of being Go forced out—forced out. Here's you your five billion. You don't want to f- being forced out. Like uh, Richardson in in Carolina was somewhat forced out due to pressure, but you don't want also a family the, thing. Yeah, you don't want to start setting the precedent of those things happening if you're another owner. But you also don't want Daniel Snyder deciding to go rogue and start talking about other lawsuits that have happened around sexual harassment in the league with different owners. I'm sure there's other things he knows that he's probably saying to himself, Hutton, everything I've been accused of doing or anything I've
2: done has gone on tenfold at other places or is happening right now. but, But even if it's not tenfold, I'm sure he has something to show where it has happened, right? Yes, so, it's not even, even if it's the same, not even tenfold. I'm just, and I'm sure like all the assumptions that are being made on what could he know, what does he not, I'm sure he knows a lot. And it's enough to where you don't want it out there if you're the league. But the individual ownership doesn't want it out there because as an individual, you're stronger as the group and you never want to be kicked off the island. So, we're not going to do it to anybody because we've already allowed him in. It's a tricky spot,
0: and there's a reason that they did all the investigation without writing it down, right? and they're not going to let it out, because...
2: There is no written report.
0: I'll I'll put it in these terms. I don't think that the league is comfortable with Daniel Snyder having access to the nuclear button. But all 32 do. (laughs) That's his point. My my point is, that's why he's not getting voted off the aisle. Yeah. Because they feel like this isn't a guy who will take his five bill or whatever they sell for and just go off into the sunset. He's going to do something to put me at risk, to put my franchise at risk. If you're Roger Goodell, you're saying he's going to say or do something to put my league at risk. Yes. And we don't want that. So while publicly making these statements, reprimanding him, or things weren't done right, but we're fixing it and saying all those things, we'll do that. But when push comes to shove, we're not going to get too forceful with this guy
2: because he may have receipts. And it takes two-thirds of an ownership vote to oust one of the fraternity members. Um, and that's what we refer to it as because it is very tight-knit within the circle, and they have one major voice in Roger Goodell in the league office that speaks on behalf of the league. They're speaking on behalf of the 32 owners. It takes 24 of the 32 for an owner to be forced out of the ownership group that is the national football league and you don't want to set a precedent where you have 24 if you can if you know if you're the guy that needs to be the 24th vote even though dan daniel snyder's not good for the nfl that's not us sitting here saying that but it's true they uh, they also don't they don't want to have to look in the mirror in some cases No,
0: look he's not good for the nfl but what's worse for the nfl is Daniel Snyder exposing a bunch of secrets about multiple other owners. <laughs> that, that's even worse. Right.
2: So that's what they're trying to avoid. Chad, when we come back, Michael McHenry will join us to kick off hour number two. And um, I have a feeling I know where you're going to lead. Atlanta and, and Philadelphia. Shall I do a tomahawk chop on here <laughs> when we come <laughs> you know, back? you turn off the lights and have the... And turn on the. Prama- David, let's get some
0: LED lights in here. Let's get a <laughs> let's get a light
2: show going during the break, and we'll
0: get it. We'll get it ready to go.
2: So, if they lost yesterday, you were saying the Season's series was over. over. Seasons over. Um, based I on say, the I win, they had you, to win. How do you feel now?
0: I feel like it's going to be a great three game series moving forward. The Braves still haven't announced who they're going to start, whether it be Charlie Morton or Spencer Strider, who's coming off injury, who's the young phenom. So, that's a big decision about tomorrow. They play at three thirty seven Central Time tomorrow afternoon kind of an odd another odd start time
2: coming up Michael McHenry joins us we'll talk analytics and go beneath the surface on the matchups of the MLB postseason then in 25 minutes we talk NFL with Armando Salguero of Outkick.com on Outkick 360.